This is the RTE Lyric FM Leaving Cert Music Podcast, a series breaking down the Leaving Cert Music exam. Joined by second level music teachers Ethel Glancy and Mary McFadden, we'll bring you lots of discussion, pointers for you to consider and suggestions on how you can get your mind exam ready. In this episode, we look at Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Fantasy Overture. So, manuscripts out, music scores open, and let's get started. Mary and Ethel, hello. How are you guys? Good, thanks. Good, Good. thank you. Yeah. Good. So today we are doing Tchaikovsky. So we should all know that every set work is going to come up on the exam. So the first Mm -hmm. four questions on the listening paper will focus on each of the set works. But before we get into the nitty gritty, Mary, could you give us an overview of Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet? Well, I suppose really important to, to... Look at the title. It's the Romeo and Juliet Fantasy Overture. So you're going to need to understand the background of the way he uses program music or tells the story of Mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet from Shakespeare. We're going to need to look at the overall structure of the work and what to watch out for here. We'll also look at the three main themes and they are the Friar Lawrence theme, the love theme and the strife theme. Then the features of romantic style And then lastly, take a look at some of the language that people will use when they're writing their answers. So Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Fantasy Overture is a concert overture. So that's a single movement form composed to be performed in a concert setting. It is a piece of program music from the Romantic era and was first performed way back in 1880. So... I'm sure a lot of students will be wondering if it's a concert overture, why is it called fantasy overture in the title? Well, Tchaikovsky expected the listener to use their imagination in the context of their knowledge of the story of Romeo and Juliet when they're listening to the drama unfold. So we know the story. Romeo and Juliet is based on the Shakespeare play telling the tragic story of two young lovers from Verona in Italy. Their families, the Capulets and the Montagues, sadly are feuding with one another. But this description tells us nothing about the music and how the story is told through the music. This is what we call programme music. And yes, programme music is illustrative music. So it is so important that you're able to discuss how and what techniques Tchaikovsky uses to tell the story of Romeo and Juliet. So while you're listening, keep that in your mind. So take care if asked to describe his use of program music. Don't just give a generic definition of what program music is, but give explicit examples of what it is in the music that tells the story. For example, the strife theme, it's representing the the fight between the two families. So the tempo is allegro, the furious pace of the fight. The tonality is minor, denoting the tragedy that the feud results in. And the melody has repeated notes and dotted rhythms to capture the anger of the brawlers. So Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet is a big work. There's a lot going on. So could you ever be asked a question about identifying the structure of the work? What's going on in the work and where? Identifying the structure of the work, 
you know, we're we've no inside track to to what could be asked. But whether it is asked or not, knowing the structure of the work is always helpful, particularly when you're trying to organize your learning into manageable chunks. So it would be important to know that there are five sections in this work: the introduction, exposition, development recapitulation and the coda and rather than trying to memorise a lot of information specifically about structure it's probably more advisable to train and hone your listening skills to be able to listen to any excerpt from any part of this work and to be able to identify the section that that excerpt comes from. By all means, if the exam question explicitly asks you to identify what the structure of this work is called, just make sure to state your answer as modified sonata form rather than just sonata form and then give the headings of the five sections. We know the work is based on three themes and to help you then to be able to say from what section the excerpt is from, we suggest that you have an overview of what is musically contained in each of these sections. And what I mean by that is the introduction presents the calm Friar Lawrence theme. The calm is then broken in the exposition with the appearance of the strife theme, followed by that beautiful romantic love theme in a completely unrelated key of D flat major. And then there's the tension in the development section between the Friar Lawrence as he tries to intercede with the two feuding families. And this is where we'll hear the strife theme, possibly a sign or a portent of the tragedy to come. The recapitulation then recalls the strife and the love themes from the exposition, but this time in D major. But nothing can avert the tragedy as in the coda. The death knell is heard and it's heard on the timpani, those deep instruments of the timpani, the double bass and the tuba underneath those almost yearning fragments of the love theme. Then there's the final reference to all the three themes and then the music finishes really very programmatically. Mary, you mentioned program music earlier. It finishes very programmatically in the tonic major with that big romantic crescendo on the plagal cadence. So one important tip about this last section, um, if you are asked to name the section, just be careful not to call it the funeral section. Would you agree, Mary? It's, yes. You, you really need mm. to call it the coda or moderato assai section, but just to avoid. I know it's telling the story of the funeral yeah. section, but uh, we would suggest don't use that terminology. So establish your technical terms and then your uh-huh. descriptive narrative yeah. terms. Correct. So you would have your five sections, which are the introduction, the exposition, the development, the recapitulation and the coda, and then break it down into those size chunks and work through them. Okay, so we now know that the work is based on three key themes. Mm -hmm. They tell us the story of, you know, love and tragedy and all these things. Mm -hmm. So tell me a bit more about these three themes. Well, firstly, you need to know exactly who and what those three themes represent. The Friar Lawrence theme represents the kind peacemaker who counsels and supports Romeo and Juliet. And I think it might be nice. We just had a quick listen to it now, Saif. Yeah, let's do that.
the strife theme then comes next and it represents the conflict between those two feuding families, the Capulets and the Montagues. I think we'll have a listen to that. And the love theme symbolises the love between Romeo and Juliet, those star-crossed lovers. And again, listen to this beautiful theme. know these themes well, how they are varied, what musical features are used in the different statements, what story is about at this statement and how you know, for example, the Friar Lawrence has a religious or kind of ecclesiastical feel to it. He is the voice of reason, so the theme is calm and uplifting. It is slow and solemn, a bit like a hymn tune or a chorale. It represents the religious friar who is a peacemaker, calm and supportive. But later, this theme is combined with fragments of the much more dramatic strife theme, which represents the conflict and the feuding between the two families. So get familiar then with all the statements of each theme under different headings. For example, the time signature, the tonality, the key, what instruments are playing or what instruments are accompanying and then drill down further to learn exactly what else is happening when each statement of the theme has been played. And know how each statement compares with another statement of that theme in the movement. And that takes time, Mary, doesn't it? It does. They really have to give time to that. That's that's work. That's prep. That's you preparing, laying out your stall, really to give yourself Mm. the best chance to succeed. And one way to do that maybe is always to cultivate like a curious kind of questioning, listening attitude. So plan to listen to sections over and over several times focusing on identifying different features each time you're listening. So break the whole work into small chunks. Maybe design a document or a mind map to make notes that are meaningful to you and help you to learn the musical features as you revise. That will help you to become a real expert on the work. And ask yourself these two questions all the time as you're listening. What theme am I listening to? What features can I hear? Now you could be Mm. very well prepared to write your answer. And in the examination, excerpts are played and detailed oral knowledge is required to answer the questions based on that excerpt. But 
A further skill that may be tested is the candidate's ability to recall what happens next in the work, though that music will not be played for you. You could be asked to compare what has just been heard in a previous statement either. So, for example, it could be to describe and compare the first time that theme was heard in the piece. Or indeed, maybe to mention somewhere else it appears and to describe that statement of the theme. Sometimes questions are asked about how statements of the theme are different. So when you're comparing them, take care to refer to the same feature in your answer. For example, the love theme in the coda is in the key of B major. But the first time it was heard in the piece, as Ethel mentioned earlier, it was in the key of D flat major. And I think that that skill of comparative judgment, Mary, it's across all of the sections. Yes. Every question, all six questions of the listening paper Absolutely. will ask you to do that, you know. So it's a fundamental skill. It, really it is. is. It is. And it's a practice skill. And as we all know, you know, deliberate practice makes progress. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking for, you know. And I think we might now listen to yeah. um, Let's do that. a little section. So another thing is how to learn the melody and the rhythm of the three themes. No doubt students in music class will have had many innovative approaches to help to engage with the themes. We think it's very useful to sing Mm -hmm. using tonic sulfa and maybe sometimes even composing your own lyrics to fit the melody to help you remember them. I like that idea. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And not not everybody uses tonic sulfa, you know. So sometimes a really nice one actually is... You could be sitting with your, you know, your flute or your electric guitar. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter, you know, try and work it out. Play it, Mm -hmm. feel Mm -hmm. it, internalise it. Get that sound buzzing around you and, you know, you'll you'll be able to work it out. And maybe another approach would be to type up the themes on your computer Mm -hmm. using notation software, such as we, some of us use MuseScore or Finale or Sibelius. And you will notice the positive benefits of using that strategy because you have to select maybe the correct instrument or the instruments make sure you choose the key and the time signature then maybe add dynamics and articulation and when you keep repeating this skill um, you kind of embed the melody as well in your long-term memory and then if a short dictation question maybe appears in the examination on based on this work you will be you know, ready and able to kind of fill in those notes, hopefully. There's a lot of great um, information there. Is there Mm. anything else that is really key? It's really important for us to remember when preparing for this question. You see, when when you look at the broader paper itself and you consider that you're studying Bach that is mm. Baroque and you're studying Barry that is contemporary and then you're studying Queen that is Queen and then you're studying Tchaikovsky it's really important that you have a sense of what the music is about what the context of, of romantic style and music are so avoid just learning off a generic shopping list of the features of the romantic style always reference the ones that are relevant to to specifically to Tchaikovsky's romantic style. Romantic composers, they show imagination in their use of instruments and how they orchestrate the work. You know, we know from Berlioz and people like that, you know, they're huge orchestrators. Well, so too is Tchaikovsky, you know, and he chooses to use a large orchestra leading to really rich orchestral colours. So, for example, 
example, when you, Mary was chatting earlier about the Friar Lawrence theme, that calm, that supportive kind of sound, it begins in a low dark register and uh, we first encounter it played on the clarinet accompanied by another clarinet and an even deeper toned instrument like the bassoon. Um, and it's almost like they're exemplifying or reminiscing on the sound of the deep tone of a church organ. You kind of get that sense or that feel of sound from that combination of instruments. Another example is the imaginative use of the spread chords on the harp that's having that conversation. It's just dialoguing with the flute, referencing possibly the heavenly aspect of the story of the tragic lovers. The role of the percussion is also worth noting here. So if you take a look at the percussion instruments included in the orchestra, the timpani, for example, they're really used to dramatic effect to signal the upcoming feud. You know there's something about to happen. The row is on. <laughs> you know, the cymbals and the bass drum also add to the tension then. You know, that, you that can timpani, feel it. you can yeah. feel there's a build-up. You know, it's so mm. clever. They didn't have, these composers didn't have musgore and finale and all of that to work. This was true composing uh, pen and pencil and manuscript or quill and ink, forgive me. But the timpani are used again very cleverly to denote the, the death knell, that funeral march again in the coda. So it's not that there's just one definitive way. They were constantly experimenting and exploring that orchestral colour. The love theme then, in complete contrast, has that interesting combination of the coranglay and then muted violas, you know, just giving it that extra little sound and colour, which, of course, presents the lyrical melody full of emotion. And, of course, emotion and lyricism, romantic music is full of mood and expression. And this sometimes is also, uh, if you like, created through the broad and dramatic use of dynamics. So that could be another thing that you could reference in your answers. Just be careful that you just don't throw out loud or louder when you're comparing you know, am mm-hmm. I right in that yeah. period that you need to be very specific about yeah. uh, what the description of the dynamic is? So that dynamic from pianissimo with the crescendo building up to fortissimo statements of the many themes. And one other romantic uh, feature I would mention are the changes in the tempi. You know, you can go from an andante, non tanto, quasi moderato at the beginning, then poco a poco, stringendo, accelerando, leading to the allegro, that fast pace for the fighting families. And it's another brilliant example of the hallmark of and the expressiveness of romantic music, but more importantly, of Tchaikovsky's romantic music. Like you just said, the Italian terms... Some the dynamics, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been practising, so I've... And that they not that. Yeah. <laughs> How important is it that we, you know, we understand these terms, we know what they mean, we're able to, you know, list them, we're, we're able to cite them instead of saying, you know, you're loud, you're soft, you're angry, you're, you know, at a walking pace, use andante instead. How integral is this? It's very important. Some students might find the terms a bit difficult where others find them easy. So it's really important that they begin early on in their study creating a glossary that will best help them to learn. So we would suggest, though, don't get caught down a rabbit hole just learning off definitions. Make sure that you know what the term means, but then what does how does it relate to the piece that you're listening to? What does it sound like? And make sure you know what, what section that term appears in and how it is used in this specific piece. 
and it's essential to be familiar with all the terms and vocabulary relevant when discussing the piece. Terms like pedal note, sequence, canon, dialogue, block chords on the harp, sustained chords, concertino, rushing scales, descending chromatic movement, antiphonal dialogue, counter melody. I'm hoping when you're listening, you're thinking of what spots that those pieces, those those terms refer to. The list is almost endless. But here's the thing. Don't think that you will end up with six separate lists across six questions. All of the language will overlap across the four set works Mm -hmm. and in the Irish music, some of it, and definitely in the aural skills, question six. Um, And it makes better sense when you kind of look at it from a more kind of overview yeah work smart yeah Yeah. work smart so finally any last minute advice well I would just say there Mary I was I was actually ticking them all off in my mind there as you were listing them out fair play but all of those terms that you've learned and gathered in your glossary just remember they're also really handy to help you hourly identify and have the necessary language when answering your question six that unprepared mm. listening. Yeah. So I think the the more you start to make the connections across all of the set works and indeed the Irish mm. music question, the more armed you are actually going in to tackle the unprepared. You know, Nothing unprepared itself can almost be a bully word, you know. Mm. Oh, I don't know what's going to come up. Well, in actual fact, you really are well prepared going into the, the, the question six. Would, would you agree, Mary? Mm. And one thing I would say to students is to listen to the piece to listen to the piece yeah. in manageable sections, let's say 50 times to begin with. And I know people are gasping. <gasps> yes, and then <laughs> when you've listened 50 times, start again and listen another 50 times. Because really, you have listened and gone through the score and explored it in huge detail and you're really going in there to that exam very well prepared. And would you say a lot of time maybe students actually know a lot more than they think when they've prepared? They might think, oh God, I don't know. But when you've done the work, it does come to you in an exam. It does. I, I think it does. it's actually more that they they let the stress become yeah. more pertinent, you know, mm. and stress is part of the exam process, mm. as is learning how to manage it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd say to students, you know, stop fretting. Stop searching Google to find the easiest fix to learning your set works. You know, uh, stop feeling guilty. You know, give yourself the chance. Try and master that calming, putting yourself in the position for this one moment in this time. This is what I have to do. This is what I'm being asked to answer. There's one other actual tip, um, Saif, I might mention if you don't mind. It's we're beginning to see it more and more. And I think it's really, really important in that oral skills question, in uh, question six, you could get asked to make links or reference to the other set works. So okay. nothing is mm-hmm. nothing is learned in isolation. That's the joy and the beauty of studying music. It comes from somewhere, it goes somewhere and it ends up somewhere else, you know. So what I mean by that is try and make connections between all of your listening learning. You know, so, for example, we're here, we're talking about Tchaikovsky, right? But Tchaikovsky uses a chorale for the Friar Lawrence theme. But when you go and you study your Bach, the seventh movement is a chorale. And canon is widely used throughout Barry's piano quartet number one. And there's also snippets, beautiful snippets of canon heard here in the Tchaikovsky. 
you know. And there's nothing to say that in your Irish music question or indeed even in your question six question that there mightn't be mention of canon or chorale or as Mary's tips earlier on, um, that dictation mightn't appear or might appear in in those questions. So don't pigeonhole. Don't don't be blinkered in your study of music because listening is a natural living everyday experience. So mm-hmm. trust your gut, trust your ear. You're a lot more musical than you actually give yourself credit for. Isn't it really the icing on the cake is to see a live performance if it were possible? Yeah. But if not, um, I know the exam will be based on, you know, listening hourly, but it would be a really good um, benefit to watch video performances as well because the cameras kind of focus in on who's playing the solo or which group are playing and it gives the students a much better sense of, you know, not just focused on the score all, ta- all the time, but they they can see what's happening in the performance as well. Maybe what how how the dynamics are building up very. You can even see it through the conductor as well. Best of luck, everybody <laughs> in the exam. Yeah, you got it. Ethel, Mary, thank you for joining me. That's the end of this episode of RT Lyric FM's LC podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RTE Lyric FM Leaving Cert Music Podcast, hosted by me, Sive Downs, with guests Ethel Glancy and Mary McFadden. This podcast was produced by Gail Henry. You can listen to the rest of the episodes in this series on the RTE radio app.